Hyper Wellbeing, a podcast about the startups, technologies, and people driving a brand new healthcare industry. Healthcare for healthy people. Consumer and data-driven, emerging as devices, apps, mobile, biology, health, and wellness converge. Continuous prediction, prevention, and optimization paradigm. And now, over to your host, D.S. Dreibra. Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Hyper Wellbeing Podcast. On today's show, we have Professor Joseph Antun. Joseph is a chairman of the board and CEO of Elnutra Incorporated, a Nutritech company developing fast mimicking diets aimed at preventing, intercepting, and reversing age-related diseases. He is also co-director of the Center for Health Policy at the University of Chicago, an adjunct professor of health policy at the Buck Institute for Research and Aging, and a fellow at the Department of Social Policy at the London School of Economics and Political Science. Joseph is also the co-editor-in-chief of the Journal of Health Systems and Reform. He completed his studies in public health policy at Harvard University, in public health at Johns Hopkins University, and a doctorate in medicine and masters in medical and biological sciences from St. Joseph University. Joseph and I have only met digitally so far. We were introduced through mutual friend Victor Chappella of Suggestic. Hello and welcome, Joseph. Thank you very much. Uh, happy to, hear, to be here with you today. How would you describe optimization of health span? So um, a lot of focus today is on helping us potentially live longer, but the most important notion behind that is to really live healthier longer. Actually, if you ask a lot of people, that if you ask people about whether they want to live just longer, and many of them would tell you, well, I don't want to be like my grandma, sick and in pain and, and, and live like this for a long time. When you, when you swap the question and tell them, how about you stay healthier and you live longer, then you get an overwhelming uh, response saying that, yes, I would love to do that. And we always want to, uh, you know, better enjoy life and family and accept uh, if we're in pain or if we're not healthy. So the concept of health span, which is they are staying healthier longer or the healthy part of our life, the, the part that doesn't have, uh, doesn't include disease, is really the golden part of our ages. should be the focus of healthcare. And, and the healthcare system today is more based on, you know, when we have a complaint or a symptom, diagnosing a disease and helping us get rid of this disease. So, so the concept of health span is definitely the dream of us living healthier longer. Americans spend, on average, 19.5 years sick, predominantly at the end of life. Is that a figure that you're aware of? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense, and it's a figure that I expected to increase, not decrease with time. As you know, uh, um, today, close to 70% of American adults are obese. And among the 30% who are not, you still can, um, they still suffer from other um, non-lifestyle related issues. So we do actually, uh, we do actually see an early onset of chronic diseases the more we advance. Healthcare is helping us today um, live with disease longer. We don't die from cancer as acutely as we, we were dying before or from diabetes. So unfortunately, this, um, this relative length of being sick long is increasing. Healthcare is helping prolonging this a little bit. And, and I mean, we're happy instead of dying 
early, but I think we should do something a little bit more revolutionary to keep people healthier longer. Start early in their life. And I don't think it's acceptable today to have 70% of the adult population overweight or obese. And there are a lot of health interventions that we can do to keep people healthier longer and relatively shrink this 19 years um, of, of, of six span, if you want, versus versus the health span. People often muddle the distinction between biological aging and longevity uh, because your, your speed of biological aging is likely to affect how long you live at your lifespan. So, you know, if your aging goes faster, your lifespan is likely to be shorter, but actually longevity is the length of your life independent of biological aging processes. Uh, even if the, do, the two of them have a strong correlation. Do you agree with that? Or is there anything else you'd like to add to that distinction? The driver's license or the passport might, t- might say you're 60, but biologically you might be 50 or you might be 70. And that's the most important factor. Of course, one of the, one of the best correlate of how old you are biologically could be your chrono- chronological age. But I think refining um, the way we do medicine today towards understanding how old my body is, is the best determinant of when I'm going to, uh, uh, my risk of disease and, and mainly the top four age-related disease, so cardiovascular disease, cancer, diabetes, and Alzheimer's. And, um, you know, uh, a good 80 to 90% of us will die from one of these four diseases and they're correlated with aging. So the better you understand your biological age and you work on either optimizing the health uh, the, the quality of, of your aging process or a little bit slowing down the pace at which you're aging is the most important determinant today to slow down um, uh, your aging process and delay the onset of chronic diseases. The startup of my first guest, uh, guest number one, your number two, was Brad Perkins. He received funding from billionaire Jim Mellon. And Jim Mellon has been calling longevity the greatest opportunity of all time, which I would agree. Uh, is that also your view? Um, well, yeah. I mean, the entire healthcare system is built on curing us, right? I mean, our goal when we build the health system is to help us be well, so that we live, so that we live a good quality of life. Some people do not want to live very long, and again, when you ask them, it's just because they don't want to be sick long. But I think longevity is critically important for every one of us. We, there's always this fear of the unknown after we die, and we'd rather stay uh, you know, alive now, um, but be well at the same time. So longevity is definitely um, one of the top goals of uh, you know, individual goals and healthcare goals. But we need to stress under longevity that health span is, the, is or living healthier longer is what people really want to want to uh, want to experience rather than to be sick long. Yeah, so you'd rather have deal with health span as number one priority, and then number two would be longevity. I would agree with that. And when it comes to the rate of aging, biological aging, which I think is the age metric that people care about, um, I, I would rather have a younger biological age than have a and uh, a younger uh, chronological age and an older biological age. So I believe that El Nutra is the only company with a patent on reversing biological aging, if I understood correctly. If, if that's the case, are you able to tell me more about that? Yes, so uh, I'm the CEO of a company here called El Nutra, based in Los Angeles, and we license from the University of Southern California their technology related to 
reversing aging through prolonged fasting. So um, a lot of the uh, the last two decades trials and nutrition have focused a little bit on fasting um, because it was identified that if you fast for a say four or five days in a row, the body gets stressed enough. Uh, it's a heavy stress on the body that the body takes not only weight-related um, uh, and metabolic-related uh, defensive action, but actually it intervenes at the cellular level, uh, inducing cellular autophagy and then stem cell regeneration in the body. So it pushes the stem cells because they're younger biologically, they're cost-effective, when they consume calories to replace old cells, which are not that cost-effective biologically. Um, so under the fasting, the prolonged fasting crisis, the body actually takes cellular action to bring um, younger stem cells to replace elderly cells. And this process has indeed shown a reversal, a temporary at least, reversal of biological aging. And um, on July 10, 2018, so practically a month ago, the... Um, uh, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office issued for the first time in history um, a patent on the fasting mimicking diet. So for in order to to fast for five days, which is very difficult on water, uh, University of Southern California has developed a mimicking diet, a diet that you can eat and mix fasting. So that fasting mimicking diet was awarded the first patent in history on a product that's preclinically and clinically tested for aging and now a patent on optimizing uh, longevity and health span. That was critical, actually. The patent title has both longevity and health span. So it's the first technology that's really proven um, to keep people healthier longer. Um, we're very, very thrilled about it. And, um, and you're going to see much more about the fasting mimicking diet because the same way the body defends itself to survive at the cellular level with uh, fasting, what we're starting to see now in the preclinical trial and going clinical with it is that it uses the cells also to intercept diseases if the body is already sick. So there might be a healing factor in there that we're actually trying to test clinically now on cancer. What do you mean by uh, intercept cells if, if already sick? How, how does that fit into this body, gets stressed fasting, uh, tries to make itself more efficient, which is good for us, autophagy, etc. Uh, so what do you mean this interception? What, what's that? We're about to start our 24th human trial, and we're looking at whether fasting could not only delay the onset of one of the top four chronic diseases, um, cancer, Alzheimer's, cardiovascular disease, and diabetes, and actually autoimmune disease. Uh, there might be really beneficial effects on autoimmune disease with fasting, and I'm happy to talk more about it. But uh, the concept is when you do a cycle of fasting, and specifically with the fasting mimicking diet, which again is a natural diet that you would eat over five days and it mimics the effects of fasting. It doesn't trigger the body's response to food, so the body stays in a fasting mode, although you're nourishing your body. But the effect is that, um, you know, in the first two days of fast, the body would, um, would you know, use fat as an extra source of energy. So you start breaking down fat and then using neoglucogenesis. But the more you cross day two towards day three, the body is so stressed that it starts taking cellular action. So it pushes the cells to now eat the debris inside of the cell and optimize their function. Um, and, um, and this is a process called autophagy, so self-eat. And it won the Nobel Prize in Medicine in 2016. 
And then the more you go beyond day three, closer to day four and day five, now the body says, okay, I'm, I'm breaking down fat to try to bring calories or, or ketones into the circulating blood. I ask the cells to eat their internal debris and I still have no food. Therefore, I'm going to take a, a bigger structural action, which is we're going to start getting rid of some of the cells that are inefficient because they have DNA damage or they're, they're very much aged. And I'm going to push my young pool of cells. As you know, the organs have younger cells and, and as, as the blood does uh, what we call stem cells. And they're very they're biologically younger than, than the average age of the body and they're cost-effective in the way they perform their tasks. So the body pushes the stem cells to replicate and replace elderly cells and Replacing young with with old is um, is a uh, is a is a reversal is a temporary reversal of aging, and what we're seeing in diseases, at least in mice now, and again, um, I still caution that we're going to human trials. We haven't got the results in humans, but I'll give you an example in diabetes in mice, when we have uh, destroyed the, the beta cells in the pancreas, reusing STZ and induced type one diabetes practically in mice. Um, after doing cycles of the fasting mimicking diet, the stem cells specialize in beta cells, and the beta cells in the pancreas reproduce insulin and brought back glycemia to normal. So that was the first time. Is that is that full is that full beta cell regeneration or just partial? Um, it it was it was uh, partial, but advanced enough to produce enough insulin and bring back sugar to normal. Um, and the uh, and for the first time, there's a regeneration in the pancreas. We published this in Cell, February uh, 2017. It was a major publication, uh, headlining for the first time um, ever uh, a regeneration in the pancreas. And now we also, on top of the longevity patent, we have received the uh, uh, the diabetes treatment patent as well. I've never understood uh, biologically uh, the explanation people give of, you know, the body uh, starts eating debris, etc. And uh, I never understood why you had to fast. What, any idea why the body's programmed to do that only when extensively in the fasted state and why not to do it every day in a non-fasted state? Fasting lived with humanity for hundreds of thousands of years, right? When we were born on this planet Earth, we didn't have easy supply of food, and it wasn't easy to hunt, etc. So for hundreds of thousands of years, fasting was part of our diet. And then that was extended even when we had food. All top five religions across the world had fasting as a common word. And even when there was food, we kind of prolonged, you know, the fasting uh, uh, part of our diet. And it was only up until the last, you know, 100 or 200 years where we started following different theories in nutrition of eating multiple times a day, every day, and we became less religious or we tweaked a little bit the fasting suffering within religion to, to make it shorter that we lost this practice. And now we eat multiple times a day and every day, and, you, and this is how you're getting um, the big epidemic in, in obesity and, and the early onset of chronic diseases. So fasting was became part of our diet. It wasn't just <clears throat> the negative connotation of absence of food or starvation, it became part of how our body counterbalanced the unhealthy lifestyles that you're going through. And, you know, when, when, you, when you're eating a little bit unhealthy, you gain some weight. And when you fast, you lose that weight. And when you fast longer, 
the body starts defending itself in order to keep you walking and, and, and trying to survive another day to find a fruit or a vegetable. And part of the body surviving the, the prolonged fast or fasting up to five days is to optimize cellular function, optimize the body's function, and focus on uh, on empowering the brain and the musculoskeletal system so that you keep walking and find the next fruit or vegetable. And the longer the fast goes, the more the body takes cellular action to defend itself because the metabolic action wouldn't be enough. So that's the concept. Find an alternative energy source so you can hunt things down. But this cellular cleanup action, I... You know, I just wondered why doesn't the body do it daily anyway? And I guess what you're saying is it's our evolutionary past. It's our hardware programming. The body knew it would fast. And the body doesn't do it every day because the every day you're eating. And this is what I try to clarify is when you eat, the, the cell it's, the cell is in a growth signal. The, the TOR pathways is active um, because of the protein and the IGF secretion. And the PK and the RAS pathways are also active because of the carbohydrates intake. So the cell is in a happy growth mode. It, it's not stressed enough to look for extra sources of calories. So it's only when this, the cell is really stressed by the absence of food that then the cell is saying, okay, I need to now uh, you know, gather myself, optimize my function, and try to, try to eat whatever debris I have in, internally and, and use that calorie as a source of energy. Would you agree that healthcare today is not healthcare, it's, it's, it's simply sick care? It kind of became as such, although the intention might be different, but, and, and I'm a physician and, and, and a lot of my training was focused on, you know, you get a patient in with a symptom and then out of the symptom, you have some test and then you have a differential diagnosis and then you try to treat that disease. I was not trained into, you get a healthy person coming into your clinic and how you want to keep that person healthier, longer, so that they don't get a disease. And so, yeah, by design, and, <clears throat> and we understand that because it's the, most, it's, it's the most urgent to intervene when there's a problem and the system created, um, uh, we created a system that at least fixes us under firefighting, which is we're already sick. But it's now, uh, it's now critical to, to keep pushing a more public health intervention and, and primary care and primordial care interventions to keep us healthier longer. And this is why, um, this is why I, I kind of like, you know, had, had a career shift, if you want, towards aging and, and, and what I'm doing today within fasting and the fasting mimicking diet because I and a lot of colleagues of mine um, who want to push the healthcare system to be, to be true healthcare um, wanted to create a market for that, a market for aging, a market for living healthier longer. And, and when you have a market, you have more attention to it, you have more funds coming to it, you have transactions in it, you have reimbursement and insurance coming to it. And you cannot have a market if you're not exchanging something, a product or a service. And, and the fasting mimicking diet was literally the, the first plant-based healthy intervention that had enough scientific background and, uh, and enough trials and, and, and funds from the National Institute of Health and credibility. And now a patent, uh, among 21 patents actually, but, but a patent focused on longevity, which is, which is what we worked for for years and years and years. And that would be the first product representing healthcare and, and, and true health span 
And out of that, I'm hoping really other labs come with other technologies and we start creating a full market for aging and, and for, for health span. And that will bring more attention from policymakers and, and, and insurance. And hopefully then would be would, would shift the focus of healthcare. Not shift, we need to do sick care because you need to care for somebody when they're sick. But the best return on investment is definitely to keep people healthier longer. Do you think that another what we'll call healthcare needs to be constructed to sit alongside and parallel with uh, today's healthcare? Leave today's healthcare for sick and injured people, and now have a secondary healthcare that's consumer driven, data driven. Uh, it's focused on longevity. It's focused on health span. It's focused on slowing the biological rate of aging, etc. So definitely, there's a mindset shift that needs to happen that empowers the consumer, and then give the consumer more tools to understand what his, his body is about, what his, what his body needs, and what he should do, he or, or she should do to live healthier longer. So it's a, it's a mindset swap, and it's a big educational and awareness campaign. You know, unfortunately, you know, up until you get to university and even, I mean, imagine, imagine you're, you're, you know, you completed your schooling and now you're going into an undergrad degree in business, say, and then you start doing work and, and, and you graduate and you go to, to start your first job. You're a 22, 23-year-old person who never even had education about health and how to stay healthy longer and how to eat and how not to eat and, and, um, and, and, and get the basics of understanding your, you know, your microbiome, your routine, your, your, uh, your family and your sensitivities and food sensitivities. So... It's a big failure of a mindset that we just left healthcare for folks that go to science schools and, and, and graduate as practitioner and take care of people when they get sick at later stage in life. So I don't see how the existing healthcare could transition. I, I can see it can go some of the way. I just don't see it's got the incentive structure. And that's why I personally, uh, I, I, I see a secondary system. Number one is really the policy at the high level, and we need a policy mind, mindset. Even aging and health span and longevity, they're, they're not recognized as tracks by the FDA or, or the government. Number two is really, um, is really an educational component and building the right incentives. Um, so so re, a little bit focusing the, the medical school education and, and on, on, on prevention and on nutrition and on exercise and on, you know, uh, stress and sleep and things that matter to us on, on every day's level is going to be important. And, and finally, incentives. You know, people follow, um, follow financial intensive incentives big time, whether we admit it or not. And if you, if you pay healthcare providers for keeping people healthier, they're going to do more of that. If you help people be more, uh, benefit more financially if they're healthier versus not, also that creates an incentive for, for, for them to go and try to be healthier. So I think when policy education and the right mindset plus financial incentives come together, that's going to move the wave. Well, I don't want to hold you personally responsible for today's healthcare system and its incentives. Jumping back a bit, I don't think that uh, you are a fan of taking a pharmacological approach to slowing down the aging process, i.e. Uh, drugs to target, say, mTOR or rapamycin. 
the pharma industry has helped us in many different ways when it comes to infections and antibiotics, when it comes to cancer and, and chemotherapy and, and many other, and diabetes and, and with the insulin. So it's definitely a major role to be played by, by the pharma industry. Uh, what we're saying is that that's not, that should not be the only focus or the only solution. And, um, and we should definitely, it's clear in front of our eyes today that you know, 70% of us are overweight or obese. And it's clear in front of us that aging is driving many of the and unhealthy aging as a consequence of, of the lifestyles we're having is driving the early onset of the main big four age-related chronic diseases, again, cancer, cardiovascular, diabetes, and Alzheimer's. So what we're saying is we have an obvious intervention to do on lifestyles and on empowering the body's own ability to to heal itself and, and to recover that we're not focused enough on and we're, we're, we're betting more on a pill resolving this for us. This is what, this is what we're trying to, to advance as an idea. And what we're trying to say as well is that if there's a pill for aging, which I hope there will be, and, um, and we are collaborating with different teams and, and hopefully get, you know, advancing one, one such pill. But if there's, if there's such a pill, and this would be a pill that you're going to have to take for a certain period of time when, when a pill focuses on one pathway or one one intervention, what we've seen historically is there will be some side effects on different pathways or or some intended goals and some unintended goals. So our only caution is that um, you know for people to consume such a pill for future longevity, it has to be uh, it has to be really priced, uh, at, you know, fairly priced for people to be willing to spend you know, uh, a daily a daily fee for it. But more importantly, it should really carry minimal or no side effects. Every day we eat three or four times. So these are three to four pills, natural pills that we eat every day. We know we can intervene there and, and help the U.S. population and the global population benefit um, without really side effects there and just help rematch their body and their lifestyle with natural evolution and eating healthier and exercising and improving their sleep and their stress levels, etc. And this is where the low-hanging fruit, you know, if you want, is exists. But we definitely are supportive of, um, of uh, a great, great interventions brought by the biotech system, and hopefully we'll get to a day where there's an anti-aging pill. Do you think that our food choices are the number one factor in terms of speeding up or slowing down biological aging and making us sick or put another way do you think our food choices are the number one determinant of obesity and the chronic disease epidemic i would bet on it um because again as of the first day in life food is what you ingest every day and is what makes your body every day multiple times a day is is the most powerful thing um you know if you think about Every meal as a as a as a as a pill, you're basically consuming every year 365 days multiplied by three to four times a day. It's that same pill. So how it's not going to be the most powerful intervention? And and we're not saying food is going to resolve everything by by no means. But what we're saying is that food has evolved to be readily available, very cheap. The cheapest food today you can eat is is the unhealthy food. It's the burger and the fries and the pizza. And the expensive food that you can buy today is an organic fruit and vegetable. 
And, and that these changes, plus a lot of wrong recommendations of eating multiple times a day um, and the marketing that we get pushing foods on us, has led us to overconsume food and, and unhealthy food. And this is what's flaring the levels of obesity, of diabetes, of cancer, of autoimmune disease. And, and, and a lot of autoimmune disease now are, are really linked to uh, microbiome changes related to food and, and leaky gut and the theories of the toxins leaking more into our bodies. So I would, I would bet with high level of confidence that food could be the main intervention we can do today to improve our health span. And you view today's uh, industry, healthcare industry, uh, that it treats diseases as isolated things. But your view is that most disease occurrences are pretty much an expression of aging. So healthcare should actually target aging itself instead of diseases which are the manifestation of aging. Once you have one of these diseases, you definitely want to try to break the pathway. So if you already have cancer, you definitely want to try to focus on how to, 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 to treat cancer. But what we're saying is that on a preventive level, genetics is important in determining what kind of disease you have and your environment around you is important. But there's a third factor, which is as important. That's the lifestyle and, 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 and the determinants of aging. And if you're aging biologically faster, you know, think of, think of yourself driving a car and if you're, if you're rolling at 70 miles per hour instead of 60 miles per hour, you're going to reach your destination sooner. And that's the same thing biologically is if you're aging fast and in an unhealthy way, you're going to reach the first disease sooner and you're going to reach your end of life, unfortunately, sooner. And, and the faster you grow forward, the faster you're going to, the sooner you're going to get your first diabetes diagnosis or the first cancer or Alzheimer's or other um, age-related diseases. It's not by it's not by chance that even if you have the APOE gene, uh, you don't get Alzheimer's uh, at age twenty. Um, childhood obesity and, and and you know wasn't wasn't a thing 40, 50 years ago, and due to lifestyle changes, it is a thing today, and it's accelerating aging. And you have a first diabetes diagnosis at at very early ages now that we haven't seen in the past. So I would say as a prevention, definitely biological age should be the focus. Once you have one of the diseases, you definitely want to prioritize that disease and its own pathways and try to intervene, um, you know, maybe more separately on it versus on a system-wide. Doesn't mean not as well in a system-wide. Um, actually, a lot of the simulations show that even if you eradicate cancer from, from, you know, from humanity, even if you find a cure for cancer, you're going to increase longevity by, by, you know, three and a half or four years only is the same unhealthy determinants that led to cancers are going to lead to another disease, say diabetes or Alzheimer's or cardiovascular. And, and the onset of that disease happens after, say, you're cured from cancer. So unless we work on the determinant, which is healthy aging, this disease is going to pop up one after the other. And, and, and it's not going to matter much how much we treat each one of them. Um, it, it, it will be urgent to treat each one of them, but it's not going to matter from a cost effectiveness and social impact standpoint to focus on, on, on that regard. Really what we're going into is an age of deep personalization of lifestyle. It, yes and no. Yes, in a sense that we are all different. There are some differential determinants, whether um, your, your genetic pool is different than my genetic pool. Uh, your food sensitivity is different than my food sensitivity. 
your uh, your um, um, you know liver performance and, and 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 power of catalyzation is different. So we're we're different individuals in 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 so many aspects, but we also have common determinants in so many aspects. Whether you gain weight fast or slow, if you're going to eat uh, three thousand five hundred calories every day, you're going to ultimately gain weight and you're going to develop diabetes. I would say definitely there's we we do share some commonalities which we definitely need to focus on. Uh, stress, uh, better sleep, um, you know, and the basis of, of, of nutrition um, and building healthy relationship in society. And then we definitely need some level of tailoring when it comes to my body and, and, and my daily food and, and what what I should be eating versus not um, given my, my environment, my, my genetic pool and my lifestyle. I don't. I, I think the economy, the global economy, has been built for being measured by GDP, and I think that GDP may have tracked to well-being, not directly, but as a proxy for yeah a few hundred years. But I think that in the last thirty, forty years, that measure of uh, success of an economy is diverging uh, uh, away from well-being. I think, uh, you know, we needed calories, we needed furniture, etc. But now people change their furniture every couple of years. We have excess calories. And I think that the market is often harming people, like with big food, and then selling them something to cure what the market already created. So I, there seems to be this divergence from the, the, the economy itself and well-being, which I see as a, a, a large problem. And Many people talk of improving social determinants, but nobody seems to say, hang on, that would require political and economic change at the, a very structural level globally. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're starting with the GDP, the GDP doesn't, doesn't definitely represent that. But we have the Human Development Index, the HDI Index, in, um, um, which, which relies economy is just one pillar of it, but then you have healthcare is another pillar and and education is another pillar, and I think is a better represent, representation of the health, the education level, and then the economy of a society. Um, but I think what you're alluding at is we 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 want to add, or what what you're hinting to is societies should add this well-being factor, um, you know, to 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 how well society is, and I would agree with that. I agreed to have you on to speak about the fast mimicking diet or the FMD for short, uh, which is being sold and marketed as Prolon by your company, El Nutra. And it's a diet where you do consume nutrition, uh, i.e. you do eat, uh, but it doesn't trigger the body's nutrient detection pathway. So the body remains in a fasted state, hence the name fast mimicking diet. You're eating, you're getting nutrition, but somehow these nutrient pathways uh, are not triggered. So your body and does go and produce ketones. It does then go in, into uh, autophagy, et cetera, as you spoke of at the beginning. And your product comes, I think it's $250 or it's $299. I can't remember if the price changed, but it, it comes and it, it's a five-day box. It's got uh, soups, teas, bars, 60 ingredients make up the box, correct? Yeah, so let me explain the concept uh, a little bit further, and, and, and thanks for bringing this up. I do, I do believe it's connected to everything we talked about because it's all about keeping people healthier longer. And, um, 
and just to just to help the um, people listening today <clears throat> about why we're talking about the fasting mimicking diet, it's it's mainly because um, it was the very first technology that got the patent on longevity and health span, and has been tested at the same time for that. So it's the only product in the history of healthcare and medicine that since they won the inventors at University of Southern California did the preclinical trial on biological aging with the fasting mimicking diet on health span. And that trial was published in, um, in cell metabolism. And the title of the trial of, of, of that article had the word health span in it. This is really exciting for us as experts in longevity and health span and will be really exciting moving forward for, for, for the healthcare system. And then when, when they conducted the clinical trial, also was focused on reversing aging and, and risks of chronic diseases. And the title of that paper in Science and Translation Medicine clearly indicates uh, an aging reversal and prevention of multiple uh, you know, diseases such as cancer and diabetes, etc., uh, related to aging. And now a fully issued patent to cover this indication. So, so really this... A focus and, and a lot of the funds came to USC from, from the National Institute of Health, which we really thank in here for being um, more and more involved in sponsoring age-related research. We do believe we, um, you know, uh, more and more funds should come to that field, but already the NIH was proactive enough to sponsor a dietary project, which, which is an atypical project on a, on a fasting mimicking diet. It's a, it's a nutrition project that has been going for over 15, 15 years today and positions from the early days on how can we pe- keep people healthier longer by reversing their biological age. So let me explain a little bit the concept, which is, again, we, we hinted at a little bit in the early part of the discussion today, but mainly is, you know, we, we as humans fasted for hundreds of thousands, for 99% or even more of our existence on earth, way more than 99%. We were fasting was part of our diet initially because of the absence of food and then prolonged by, by, by religious habits. Um, and, and only in the last, you know, couple of hundreds of years, we lost the right practice of this habit. And we suddenly saw a surge of major chronic diseases. And what we're trying to do is to bring back fasting to our diet in a healthy way and in a practical way. Um, we are today so much surrounded with food and theories about eating. Every day you hear a pop-up theory, and most of them, they don't have science backing them. But what we were saying is for sure, you know, fasting was part of our diet, and for sure we lost that. And if we bring it back, we want to bring back the counterbalance, the checks and balances to our system. Instead of eating every day and overeating and keeping gaining weight and aging faster and starting an only onset of diabetes, why don't we, at the intermittent level, we bring back fasting to counterbalance this, this fast age and this overweight epidemic? And we started testing at the University of Southern California different types of fasting, fasting for a few hours versus fasting for a day or two or three or four or five and six and seven, actually. And we start looking at the body, what, what happens to the body. And a lot of us today have heard or even practice intermittent fasting, which is fasting for you know, a few hours and biologically you're fasting when you cross a day and, and it's easy to practice, uh, whether it's time restricted eating or meaning skipping a few hours and limiting food intake to eight to 12 hours. 
and the fasting period, 12 to 16 hours, we call it time-restricted eating. And um, it helps you definitely counterbalance the weight, uh, the, the, the calorie intake that you ate the, the, the day before and, and the weight gain. So it's a great weight management tool that you can practice every day. And then uh, and, and it has some metabolic impact when you, when you balance your weight, you balance your cholesterol, your triglyceride, your blood pressure, et cetera, and inflammation in, in the blood. The longer you go on fasting, and especially when you reach two to three consecutive days, is when the body is really feeling the pain now. It's body's saying, okay, I'm, I'm losing fat. I'm using fat as a source of calorie. I'm asking the liver to dump the extra energy it has. But still, it's too long for me now to be two to three days without food. And I need to start asking the cells to go and find calories within them. And this is when the cells start um, eating the debris within them and the organelles. And we call that autophagy, self-eat. Auto is self and phagy is, is eat. And then more interestingly, when you cross day two and three and you fast even longer on day four and five is where the body is saying, okay, I'm declaring really bankruptcy here. I used my fat, the extra source of energy. I used my intracellular energy. And now um, I need to do a deeper intervention to survive. I'm going to actually push my stem cells. They're, they're my superstars. They're biologically young. They don't carry DNA damage necessarily with age. And I want them to actually uh, try to replace some of the inefficient cells as a last structural cellular intervention to survive. And, and hopefully these this extra defense line will will um, will help me find the next fruit or vegetable before I collapse and and stay alive. And this is all part of natural selection and part of human evolution. Um, we were fascinated to see cellular changes based on the absence of food. And typically, any diet you take impacts the fat and the metabolism. For the first time, we're seeing that the absence of food or fasting could actually have a deeper intervention, way beyond the weight and metabolism, but on the cellular level. And when we started going to human trials, and the first human trial we went on was on fasting for cancer. We tagged team with Mayo Clinic on it. It was so difficult to, to, um, to keep people compliant on a five-days water fast. So um, we felt the need to develop what we call today a fasting-mimicking diet, meaning a diet that you would eat and your body would stay in a fasting mode. And we did it by uh, basically started studying ingredients that do not spike insulin uh, as a response to, to, to ingestion and that they don't spike uh, insulin-like growth factors. So certain, certain amino acids that do not trigger the insulin-like growth factor or the proteins pathways, what we call the proteins pathways, and in the cell, the TOR pathway. And, uh, and, and carb chains that actually do not spike insulin and do not trigger the BKA and the RAS pathway in the cell. And by that, we're nourishing the body, actually, but we're not at the cellular level triggering what we call the nutrient-sensing pathways, the BKA, the RAS, and the TOR pathways, which are the main pathways that tell the cell there is calorie coming or there's no calorie coming. By not triggering these pathways, although you're nourishing the body with food and, and our food has not only the macronutrients, but the micronutrients, uh, so vitamins and, and minerals, so that the body operates uh, during the five days in a, in a safe way and you keep going to your work and you keep your lifestyle. Um, we do not recommend you, 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 know, you exercise heavily, of course, because you're going to lose a lot of calories. But 
um, it's a diet that you can do while while being fully functional and, and, and doing your daily activities. And the goal is to nourish the body while keeping the cells in a fasting mode and keeping the body for five days uh, in this in this uh, uh, not only metabolic improvement but actually cellular optimization. We called it the fasting mimicking diet. And two years ago, we launched the first fasting mimicking diet in the market called Prolon for promoting longevity. It was a great name. And today, after this patent, it's actually a very well-deserved name. Is your personal aim what's called rectangularization of mortality? That is, uh, you live a hopefully a long life, and then you have a systems failure at the end rather than breaking apart in... Uh, in phases, particularly early onset of diseases that we're seeing now in younger people that would be more typically seen in older people. And do you believe that Prolon is helping towards that goal? By helping people stay healthier, longer, or delaying biological aging, are we really reaching our theoretical dream of, okay, you, you stay healthy, healthy, and then you collapse as a body. The cells are, you know, aged enough to collapse and and there's a, there's a stoppage of a system and you don't need to suffer for years. You're just a short period or sudden death. I mean, this is the theoretical dream for us in the longevity and health plan world. And we're not sure whether when we keep people healthier longer, um, we, we, are we delaying the onset of these diseases, but they're still going to happen. They're still going to go long or not. What we are seeing in humans, what we're seeing in mice is yes. The mice actually are staying healthier longer, and then they're, they're, they're dying on a little bit more acute level. But a lot more studies needs to happen, and it's going to be difficult in humans. As you know, you're going to have to track people on, a, on that intervention, say our fasting mimicking diet. They would have to do it every year for, for say, 40 years or 30 years, and then see how they die to, in order to prove that. We're, we're, uh, we're very scientifically oriented, scientifically based, so I wouldn't I wouldn't give any statement or judgment today that I'm not sure about. So I would say, theoretically, we would expect that or we would love to expect that, but we cannot definitely um, state this unless we, uh, we prove it. There's directionally, in mice at least, uh, we see that directionally happening, and we hope it will happen in humans, but we don't have a proof yet. Joseph, how often do you suggest that healthy people should use a fast-mimicking diet? Did you say it's two to three or maybe four times a year for the purposes of healthy people extending longevity and reducing biological age? Yeah, probably two to three times. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're fit, you don't have uh, metabolic issues, you're not overweight, and you, you live a healthy lifestyle, probably for this, for this cellular rejuvenation reason, you want to do it and, and maybe two to three times and again. Um, you know, uh, uh, humans, our body is, is the result of, of hundreds of thousands of years of, of evolution. And we would not expect, you know, uh, uh, hunger to be, you know, a monthly thing. Um, and especially in the last, you know, few thousands of years when food became available, it was cared by religion. And, and you know, uh, there is a two to three episodes in a in, in year of, of, of fasting. And this is the long fasting, meaning, meaning the five days fasting, mimicking diet. Intermittent fasting or, um, you know, allowing the body to be on 12 hours. Um, some recommend 16 of, of, of no food, what we call the time-restricted eating and restricting the, the, the eating time to the remaining 8 or 12 hours. I think it's a practice that should be a little bit more common uh, as well. Again, uh, before before having electricity and storing food in refrigeration, we uh, our ancestors 
slept early, ate, ate at 6, 7, or 8 p.m., and he slept, and the next day you had to wake up and find your food or, or have a breakfast. And I think it's healthy to eat and then spend a good 12 hours of no food to counterbalance and to, to, to burn the calories you ate instead of stacking them up into, into fat every day. So yeah, otherwise, if you're healthy, otherwise, maybe two to three times a year. If you have metabolic reasons and, and you're overweight, maybe you want to do it more towards, uh, you know, four times. But this is this is the frequency we recommend. Very few people need to do it every month or every other month, especially if you do have a major metabolic uh, goal you want to achieve. Maybe you do it three months in a row. And then after that, you measure again if you corrected what you need to or if you reach your metabolic objectives you can start doing it once every three or four months. Thanks for that. And is it two fifty or two nine nine? No, um, it is a two hundred and fifty dollar. Um, uh, if you buy one or two boxes, you'd pay two hundred and fifty dollars. If you're buying three boxes or more, or if you're subscribing uh, for it, then you pay two hundred twenty five dollars uh, for it. I heard Walter Longo, who we, we should actually mention. I heard him saying uh, water fasting can lead to a weakened immune system. I never saw any references for that. He also said that chronic calorie restriction tends to drive down markers, whereas FMD also doesn't do that. What the Biosphere Project showed, which was a chronic calorie restriction trial uh, with Roy Walford, then and um, uh, you know it showed a depressed, a depressed immune system. So, you know, when when you fast. You know, this is why many people keep asking us, can I fast? If I fast for 20 days, would I do better? If I fast for a month, is it even better? And we don't believe that. It's the cyclicity that's important. It's it's when when the stem cells start and when the regeneration happens, if you don't refeed the body, you know, we haven't talked much about this today, but the five days after the five-day fasting mimicking diet are really critical because when you refeed, you're feeding a newly replicative and stimulated stem cells, and you want to feed them for them to grow. The same thing goes for immune, new immune cells. Now, when 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 you fast, when you go on a fasting regimen for a long time, say, you know, 20 days or 30 days, and there's not enough calories even for the new regenerate, regenerated cells to even for them to flourish, and then you depress the entire system. So what Professor Longo, Walter Longo, is, is, is saying, and this is based on his experience with the chronic calorie restriction and the Biosphere Project is what what they observed is that chronic addiction has depressed immunity, and this is why we, we elected to instead of asking people to, to eat less for for you know in, in, in the trial in the chronic addiction trial it was thirty percent less calories a day instead of asking them to eat a little bit less every day for a long period and deplete the system we actually went into a more severe and acute system which is fasting for five days. So we get the same positive benefits on regeneration because it's it's a severe, you know, almost no calorie or zero calorie when you when you mention the word fasting, but it's short enough, it's acute enough, it's only five days that you don't deplete the body. So this is what he was trying to explain: is a short term um, dip dip the body, let the body actually regenerate, and then refeed to actually boost that regeneration instead of depleting the body on a long term when the on a long-term fast or on a long-term chronic calorie restriction. I appreciate, yeah, I temporarily mixed up five-day five water fasting with chronic uh, Roy Walford's uh, chronic uh, calorie uh, restriction. Uh, turning to yourself, I would like to just ask a few personal questions. 
I, I heard elsewhere that you're a big believer in giving back to society. You'd said elsewhere, move forwards whilst thinking about the people behind you. Is that a, a, a guiding philosophy? I grew up uh, in a family, you know, I was born in a, in a, in a really poor family and and we were very poor economically, but we were very rich in, in our heart. And my parents instilled in me this concept that, you know, it's really what's most important in life is how much, how much help we're going to provide to others and, and, and the, the best memories we're all going to die and the best legacy we can leave is how many lives we save or how many lives we improve. And, um, and my father was, um, you know, uh, I think a genius, um, uh, a genius with a big heart, and we um, we definitely grew the ranks and 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 became affluent. But but I think we all um, kept this tradition of of feeling with other others and feeling others' pain and, and supporting others. And um, part of me tag teaming with Professor Walter Longo, who's the main inventor of the fasting mimicking diet, was because he he decided to donate all his shares in in this project to charities and foundation. So he, um, um, all his shares in, 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 in this fasting discoveries, the aging discoveries and fasting mimicking diet, even when he writes a book actually, and he has a big book called the longevity diet that was launched this January and, and became a bestseller on Amazon in six days. Uh, the longevity diet talks about a lot of things we talked about today, and I really recommend people to go and buy it and all the proceeds that he gets from it goes to charities and foundations. So, we believe we're we're sitting on a project that's going to help humans live healthier, longer. We brought back fasting um, to society, and, and fasting nobody owns it; it should be for everyone. So we are actually donating back a good chunk of the money to the Great Cures Foundation and other foundations and charity. And you have four C level positions. I would like to ask you a couple of questions about them, keeping up with the the, the uh, tradition you spoke of. Um, what is the longevity group? So uh, the longevity group is a group that we formed, um, I would say, almost eight years ago now or nine years ago, uh, um, you know, around that period. And it was, it was around the first time I started transitioning from from my focus in health policy and health system reform and and the pharma and the biotech sector start, you know, understanding it's really about aging and it's really about longevity and health span. And I started meeting people. I started traveling across the U.S., trying to see who's working on aging, who's working on health span, who are, what are the technologies coming in that market, and meeting leaders in that field. And I decided to put the longevity group together um, as kind of leaders thinking today uh, about about aging being a main driver of our health span, and um, and just to empower them, to represent them, to advocate for them and to support them with getting their technologies into the market. And Professor Walter Longo was one of one of those, and he leads the Longevity Institute at USC. And, and I felt he had the most practical and, and uh, uh, intervention called the fasting mimicking diet. It was very, it had very robust science. It had one of the biggest footprints on, on aging. Um, and I really, really wanted to start helping him and USC go to the market and grow this concept globally. Again, going back to the idea of having a product and having a market, then pushing that market of aging uh, more for policy to to do some reform and adopt it and for additional investments to come into it and hopefully 
for that market to be reimbursed and have the right financial incentives to to, to help providers and help consumers do more for that aging and, and their longevity. Thank you. And El Nutra is doing very well. It's I, I understand it's growing 20% um, month on Yeah, month. on average, I would say that's a fair statement. Uh, some months we grow faster, some months a little bit slower, but on, on average, definitely, uh, it's still a small, you know, company we, we launched a couple of years ago, uh, Prolon, but it's going really fast and really well. And I think what helped us is the credibility in, in, in the market is the research, is the patent, the science, and the efficacy, uh, the efficacy of the product. The food market and the nutrition market is full of ideas. It's full of every day you hear a new idea, every day there's a book. And, and I think we're confusing consumers and we're confusing policymakers. I think if you ask... 100 policymakers about whether food should, is an important determinant of health, they will say yes. The same, the physicians would say yes. But when it comes to take action, they're looking at the market driven by, by money makers, by marketing, by misconcepts, and by no science. And I think we have a one chance in history today with the fasting mimicking diet, with, with having research that is completely university-based for 20 years, having the credibility of the grants coming from the National Institute of Health, having the effectiveness that we showed, having preclinical and clinical trials, and now patents, um, and now in-market experience, and, and the consumers doing the fasting mimic and diet are getting unbelievable results and, and showing very high efficacy and safety profile. We have a shot in history to, to present food as medicine, the same way the pharma industry, our colleagues in pharma, are able to convince policymakers to reimburse their product to to price them well and to provide them, to support them, to, to, to get it into, into patients. I think we have the same chance in history today with Promon, with El Nutra and the fasting mimicking diet to do the same and prove that food is medicine. And you're also chair of the board of uh, Global Health Span Institute, which is based in... Yeah, DC. the Global Health Span Policy Institute, or what we call GHPI, was an institute, is an institute that's built to advocate on behalf of the uh, you know, the longevity group or the group of pioneers in the field of aging and, and, and the folks that are trying to bring other technologies to help us live healthier longer. And, um, you know, a big gap into, into the aging market is that policy doesn't recognize health policy, doesn't have a recognition of aging. And we, we don't want to qualify aging as a, as a disease because it's a normal process, but aging is the mother, is the mother of diseases, is the biggest catalyzer of diseases. And these are interesting discussions that we start, we, we want to, we want to have and we want to advocate, um, with policymakers and with funders in the country about, um, let's put more money into the science of aging, the science of health span and keep us healthier longer rather than talking about the crisis within Medicare, which is, actually directly linked to this. Uh, Medicare passively receives the elderly after a certain age. And when I say passively, meaning they don't prep them to be healthier, uh, they just receive them, they enroll them, and they're getting a sick pool of um, you know, overweight and obese elderly with, with multiple, multiple conditions. And this is, this, is a, this is a tragedy of healthcare system being reactive rather than proactive. Um, but again, you cannot blame the system big time for not being proactive because there was no foundation for the proactiveness. Now that science is putting together some new findings about diets and nutrition and some proven lifestyle changes that could, could become the infrastructure to be funded by governments and reimbursed, I think 
we're very excited about what the future is going to bring is going to bring to us. We definitely hope we did this long time ago, and the government has invested more in, in, in insurance into this. Now they're paying more attention because of the pressure, the economic pressure as well. But in any way, we're really excited to have, on one hand, technologies that are proven to improve our aging process. On the other hand, bigger attention from policymaking. And the, the Global Husband Policy Institute is a platform to bring them together and, and help make that increase awareness with policy around aging and health span and, and creating a match and, 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 and raising attention uh, you know, to the field. Is El Nitro working on quantifying biological age? We are actually. Um, not, not in-house. We, um, another really bright scientist at USC that now moved to Yale, her name is Morgan Levin, and has worked on the, um, I think it's called the NANES study, which is uh, a 19-year-old uh, observational study that was funded by the U.S. government looking at lifestyles of people, 9,000, I think, 300 people, and followed them over 18, 19 years until they developed chronic disease and some of them died. And we worked with Morgan on, you know, reverse correlating the, uh, 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 from, from, from death and onset of chronic diseases and the blood test of, of this group of 9,000 plus individuals. And we were able to reach a formula that basically because of the number of participants and because of the length of the trial, I think for the first time, even in history of biological aging, we have a, an observational trial based on which we were able to create a biological aging uh, uh, measurement. We call it the aging score, and we're going to launch it in October. It sounds exciting, the quantification of biological aging. Do you think it's going to um, become as popular, or, or, I mean, do you think biological age will achieve the scale of blood pressure one day? I, I, I do. I, I do believe that, and I hope at least, that the unit of measurement of health is going to be biological age. There's, there's, that unit itself is going gonna, is gonna to represent so much in our body and it's going to help us predict so much in the future that I do hope, and it's part of our mission and my personal mission, is to grow this bi- concept of biological aging. And as Peter Drucker says, if you cannot measure, you cannot manage. And part of our mission as a longevity group wasn't only to bring technologies in aging, such as the, the fasting mimicking diet, but to measure aging. And, and when you measure, you can see improvements or, 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 um, or, um, or, or reverse direction, but at least you can then quantify, you can then put price, you can then reimburse, you can then be more proactive. And I know, you know a lot of companies are working on, on biological aging some of them with artificial intelligence simulation, other with a little bit more simplistic simulations, and others are measuring telomerase or methylation, etc. We're very excited about all these projects, and we hope that at some point, you know, we uh, the two, three more significant uh, groups looking at aging from from different ways maybe get together, and the average of averages of of the biological age score would would give us the best proxy. To what a person's age is, and and that would help healthcare focus on that. And if you're if you're 50 and you're showing you're 60, you really need to do something, and and then you can quantify it, and then you can find really what's the best thing that worked for you that that decelerated your age and brought you back to to 50 or even to 45. We're extremely excited about that and about the future of health focusing on these metrics rather than on and other measurements that, that are relevant when you're sick. You know, it's, it's fascinating how 
we, we, we did more for our cars than we did for our body. You know, today you sit in a car, you have a dashboard in front of you, you know, the car temperature, you know, when you, when you kick on gas, you see the RPM go, going up. Uh, so in, 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 in our case, we don't have an age accelerator or decelerator management, you know, measurement. Um, you have different, different icons that, that lit if you don't have water in the radiator, et cetera, et cetera. We have, obligatory insurance for every car. I wish we do the same in our case where we measure aging. And even in a car, when you buy a car, um, you know, mileage determines the, the cost of the car because mileage is usage and usage means, you know, the best prediction of when this car will, will start having issues in the future. We need to find a system that also helps us quickly. We, we all hold iPhones today in our hands. We have computers and, and we have some some, you know, should have some ease access to, to some primary measurements. And then based on the biological aging, which I think is, 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 is like a mileage of a car, um, is how much our body has been used and, and how healthy it is today. Um, at least always know where we stand in our life and our lifespan and try to improve it and keep us healthier longer. And we're going to get sick one day, but hopefully we'll delay that on set. And do you think once that's quantified, it'll be portable? So, for example, you can plug it into dating sites, and so you'll only look for partners with a biological age within certain ranges. And do you think it's coming to your wrist or phone quite soon to see your rate of biological aging, just like we look at the time today? Well, the the, uh, the dating thing is out, a little bit outside of my expertise. Uh, it's a fun thing to talk about, but is uh, I think you know it'll be it'll be uh, it's a little bit outside of my focus, I, I definitely, um, I definitely think should be portable. I definitely, I don't, I'm not sure it's a, it's a minute by minute something you want to track, um, but I, I, I definitely think that you want to, you know, once, once every couple of weeks at least directionally, because there's, there's what's your age now as a snapshot, and there's the direction. You know, what I did yesterday and what I'm going to do today are they directionally going on, uh, you know, on a, in, in a healthy direction versus Versus not so. You definitely want to have measurements that maybe you want to do every month or other months of where your biological age is, and you don't want to do them so frequently that the difference is not statistically even significant. But you definitely want to have another measurement. It's like the car. You know, you look at this at at, at the dashboard. You, you're rolling, say, at 60 miles per hour. But when you decelerate, the first thing that goes down is the RPM, saying I'm, I'm decelerating, or when you kick the gas pedal, you have the RPM going up even before the speed goes up. So you might want to have, uh, or like the stock market and micro trading, you want to see directionally maybe more frequently what you're doing and then measure the, you know, uh, uh, where you are biologically every now and then. I've used a few services to check my biological age. One is bloodcalculator.com. It said I was 20 odd years older. Another one is aging.ai. Uh, it also was quite off, but not as badly off. And I heard Walter Longo say the top five biomarkers of uh, longevity are IGF-1, insulin, glucose, CRP, and triglycerides, oh, and high, high blood pressure. So that was uh, five main ones there. So I do measure them. Are you aware of aging.ai? Uh, I do, actually. Uh, I am aware of, and I think this is the, the project of Alex, and Alex is a, is a great colleague, and, and I really hope... Uh, um, his AI platform keeps growing until until really refine it with with very close margins what the biological aging is. 
But what you were referring to with Dr. Longo is exactly what we talked about, the aging score. When we did this, when we, when we uh, reverse correlated the, the study done at 9,000 plus individuals, again, over 18 years or 19 years now, there were five metrics that were highly correlated with, uh, with aging. And it does not mean that others are not or they are. It's just, you know, the body, the body expresses the genes code for proteins and the proteins go for, you know, in different, in different, different streams. And then you have the genetics and the telomerase and it's different parallel stories and the blood and what, what, what exists in the blood is in, in our opinion today with aging score is the, is the end point or the result of the results of all this. At least this is what, this is what the measurement that we did in the blood with these, uh, or, or, or the study did, with the, with the 9,300 individuals showed that these five factors are represent a summary of the story of your biological age, if you will. I'm really excited, not just about FMD, because I think it can, have, it can actually benefit many people, but I'm really excited about your, your focus on quantifying biological longevity. And I can only imagine you're going to bring these pieces together in some package in the future. I'm not trying to uh, ask you to relate future products and services, but I can only imagine you're going to start putting FMD in, you're going to build some software that has biological aging in it and integrate them in some way and possibly add other products. So I, I imagine you've got future products in the pipeline. No, for sure. And, and you know, um, we, we would love to help every one of us understand where they biologically stand and give them recommendations about what to do to, if they're unhealthy, to become healthy uh, or, or reverse part of that neg- negative direction. And if they're healthy, to be healthier. And, and quantification and then recommendation intervention is, is really key. I think what we bring to the table, the most important is the science space. Um, nothing we talk today is really my idea or someone else's idea. Or This is, this is uh, more than two decades of work. And all of it is research at universities across the world and, and the science. And even if it delays us a little bit, we really wanted to do this a long time ago, but we're taking the hard route of proven science in order to bring something that shakes and moves solidly the, the healthcare system and be disruptive but credible enough for people and mindset to be changed. And, and, and yes, we're going we're gonna to bring the aging score um, you know, and make it afford, make it make it available for people, and um, and hopefully coupled with Prolon and many other, you know, recommendations. Not only ours, but there are a lot of bright uh, researchers doing a lot of work on aging in different parts of, of the globe, and we want to empower them. Uh, and this is again, you asked about longevity group and global health span policy institute is really empowering all of them to bring more credible intervention to that market and create an aging market, create a longevity market, um, market not from a, just a financial standpoint, but from an attractiveness standpoint and hopefully move the needles, the needle on reimbursement and policymaking, which is really what's going to shake that entire industry and make it, make it big. I appreciate your macro view coming across at the policy level. I can't wait as a consumer to be able to sign into El Nutra get a biological age score, which may involve, hey, you know, uh, getting, getting blood taken by Quest or whoever you use uh, to pull blood, and then doing the FMD maybe one, two, three times, however many times is required, and then retesting the yeah. biological age again For via sure. l I mean, that's, 
this is something that's going to hopefully become mainstream in the next four to five months. And we would love for people to measure the before and after. And I, I can't wait. I can't wait because these are, the market is begging for such services and has been for a long time. And I, I want to say I'm surprised it's not there in the market, but it's not that easy. So I shouldn't be surprised, but definitely there's a lot of eagerness, pent-up eagerness out there. Well, it's going to happen. Last question. I want to ask every guest, which is, what's your top health span tip? Uh, you can name a diet, a device, a practice, a belief, uh, but you you can't say FMD or fasting. Something else, please. Oh, Avoid yeah. sugar. Uh, I don't know. But you, anything, but you can't say fasting or FMD. I would say skip dinner uh, or, or, or not skip dinner or eat earlier. So, so eat around six or seven. Um, you know, and then make sure that, you know, you, you, you don't eat really late at night. I think, I think half in my, in my, I mean, I don't want to put a quantification, but a, one of the most significant intervention we can do today to, to curb obesity globally is, is really, uh, is really, you know, allowing our body to, to be in a phase where I'm eating. And then there's another phase after that of not eating. So I would say the time restricted eating is, is really important to counterbalance, um, you know, uh, what you ate the previous day. Um, but if you want something non-related to food, I would say um, build, give more love and receive more love and build better connections with your friends and family. Um, there's a lot of happiness that we lost lately and happiness is directly correlated with aging and, and, and stress and lifespan and, and, the work that Dean Ornish did and many other labs and are showing around the world is really rebuilding social connections, be involved with your friends, go out and, and love more and be loved more is, is something that's going to take you off the combination of stress and joy, moments of stress and moment of joy. It's going to create some level of happiness, especially within the family. And, and I think that's going to help, help our longevity and aging big time. Yeah, that was a big piece of, a big element of the Blue Zones book was social yes, connections. Definitely. So, Joseph, I see we're out of time here, and I want to say I greatly appreciate your time and I greatly appreciate your expertise. And thank you for rolling along with me with a few. No, I wish you, I wish you great success with, um, uh, with your work in here. I think you're covering really, really important questions. And let's, let's keep moving forward this, the concept of, us living healthier longer. This is healthcare and it's going to be the most impactful investment we do in our life. Got one request. Can I be one of your first customers in the biological age quantification? You would definitely. Oh, excellent. <laughs> excellent. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll make you keep your word. Th I, thank you very much, thank Joseph. You know, again. Yeah. Much appreciated. Bye, -bye. Bye. For more information, please see hyperwellbeing.com or follow Twitter at hyperwellbeing.com.